kinds of trials, afflictions, and one wise man said one time that if you're not in a storm tonight, uh, you are just waiting for one to come. And if you've already been in a storm tonight, you know that uh, there's going to be many more ahead. Um, I, I think uh, that's part of living in a broken world. As we recall our studies thus far in the book of Revelation, we need to remember that it's a scroll. And as the scroll has been separated, there are seals that mark separate divisions in the letter. And we have come all the way to the seventh seal, the seventh part of the book of Revelation. So the scroll has come to that seventh seal. Now the seventh seal has been opened. And we've been able to see a portion of it in chapter 14 is like a table of contents for the rest of the book, for the rest of the scroll. It's giving us a panoramic view of what is to come to pass in the last days of the last days. And the chapter itself can be divided into three parts, and I'm going to, if, if it's okay, I'm going to um, take those three parts separately, but the first part is the establishing of the kingdom, that is uh, verses 1 through 5. And then the second part is um, pouring out the vials of wrath on the unbelieving world in verses 6 through 13. And then the last portion introduces us to the interesting uh, study of the Battle of Armageddon. But tonight's study is going to be titled The Everlasting Gospel the everlasting gospel. We're going to just read uh, through verses 1 through 7 tonight for our study time here together. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Uh, and I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountain of waters." 
In this first portion of the chapter, we find a reference to a group of individuals that we have already read about in the seventh chapter of this scroll, the 144,000. If you will recall, in chapter 7, these were 12,000 out of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were clearly identified as Jews. They were clearly identified with a Jewish heritage. So we're, we're going to understand that these are the same people. And these individuals have been described as redeemed. They have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. They have been born again and converted to the truth of Jesus Christ the Messiah. These are individuals that are described as being morally pure. They, they are uh, not affected by the uh, idolatry and the immorality that is rampant in the world in their day. These are a particular group of individuals referred to as the first fruits in verse 4. Notice that with me. He says, These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now, I believe that he's describing this as the first fruits of the Jewish nation. This is the redeemed Israel. If we were to take the time tonight, we could go back to Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. And there God says that the first fruits of uh, Israel would be f for him. They it would be devoted to him. The first fruits of the crop, the first fruits of uh, the uh, sheep, the, the first fruits of the grain, the first fruits of the family. All of these are, are devoted to God. They are separated, as it were, unto the living God. Now, the reason I'm wanting to spend a little bit of time with this is because we have a notion, uh, some of us have a notion that God really is through with Israel. That, that you know, all of the commentators that we uh, love, uh, Matthew Henry, uh, John Gill, and others, were written before 1948. And, and, and we love their writings and we love their, their understanding of the scripture. Uh, but what we need to understand is they were speaking about Israel in the past tense. They, they actually stated that the church replaced Israel in the economy of God. That Israel was in the Old Testament and the church is in the New Testament. And God doesn't have any more uh, purpose or further dealings with the nation of Israel however there are some glimmerings in the scripture that teach us that in the last days Israel would be again regathered in Romans chapter 11 remember Paul is uh, in that Roman letter remember how he's dealing with the distinctions between the Jew and the Gentile and how some of the Jews felt like they were better than the Gentiles because they were natural descendants of Abraham. And Paul had to go through a lot of wording to get them to understand that it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're all under sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But remember something that he said in Romans chapter 2 that is significant in our study tonight. He said, he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, whose circumcision is that of the heart and not of the flesh. So what he's doing, he's dropping the distinction of nationality. 
And he's saying, yeah, God has a covenant people just like he did with the nation of Israel. God has a covenant people out of all the nations of the earth. And they are looked upon as the Israel of God. Galatians chapter 6 verse 15. Now, having said that, I want you to also remember what Paul uh, was teaching in Romans chapter 11. He was asking a question. What advantage has the Jew, he says in chapter 3 verse 1, much in every way, for unto them were committed the oracles of God. Unto them, they were given something that the other nations weren't given. They were given the law. They were given the tables of stone, right? They were given the, uh, the rights to worship. They were given instructions uh, on how to worship the living God. Uh, the sacrificial uh, part of their worship was manifested to them as a nation and as a people in the Old Testament. They were given the prophets. They were given the judges. They were given the written, recorded word of God. They had something that the other nations did not have. And God would say to the nation of Israel, I'm going to make you a kingdom. I'm going to use you as a, a light to the Gentiles. You're going to take what I have revealed to you and give it to other nations. But they did not do that. They did not do that. They kind of act like old Baptists sometimes <clears throat> when we refuse to preach the gospel to everyone. The Jews violated the very purpose for which God had promised them a kingdom, an enduring kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. But we know through history and through the reading of the Old Testament that they violated the law of God. They came under the judgment of God. They were dispersed among the nations. Now, some would say that means that God has no other purpose for the nation of Israel. But Paul said something that I want to share with you in Romans chapter 11. Turn back there very quickly for this point only. In Romans chapter 11, Paul says something here that we should take into account when we're talking about Israel. Listen to this. In beginning with verse 22 of Romans chapter 11, Paul writes this, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness. Now, on them which fell among the Jews, we see the severity of God. Toward you Gentiles, we see God's goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. And they also, if they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Now underline that in your Bible. And watch this. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, he's talking to Gentiles that were grafted into the Jewish uh, promises uh, and were grafted con contrary to nature into a good olive tree, the Jews, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel. Here's the key word. Until. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. 
I submit to you that that's talking about the end times. And so, he says, all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, brothers and sisters, I believe that that's a reference to the elect among the Jewish nation. I believe that that's what's represented in the 144,000. I do not believe that that's literally 144,000 people. I believe it's figurative. It's it's talking about, um, you know, 12 is an ecclesiastical number. It's talking about the the, the, uh, remnant uh, among the Jewish nation that God is going to quicken, uh, uh, regenerate, and convert to the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the individuals that are going to bear his mark. And when it says that they have not defiled themselves with women, I believe that what he's talking about there is uh, in a spiritual context. It's idolatry. They are not going to go the way of the world. Remember the whole in chapter 13, we learned that the whole world wonders after the beast. The whole world, the vast majority of the world is going to devote their time, labor, and efforts to worshiping and serving the Antichrist. But here is a group of Jews in the last days that are going to stand firm in their commitment to Jesus Christ. They're not going to be defiled with the idolatrous practices of the world around them. And these are the ones that are singing a new song. They're singing a new song because of a new experience. The kingdom of God is now coming. And the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ is the king of is going to be established in such a way that these, these, uh, these individuals are going to reflect that praise, that joy, and that glory to the Lamb of God. They are followers of the Lamb. They're singing a new song, and that song is the song of redemption. They are the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. This is the redeemed of Israel. And in their mouth was found no guile, no deception, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, how are they without fault before the throne of God? They're without fault before the throne of God the same way you're without fault before the throne of God. It's through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. These are true believers. And then he says, and I saw another angel. Now, remember what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse as we pointed out and continue to point out through this study when we look at uh, Matthew chapter 24, 25, 26, we find that Jesus is, is referring several times to angels. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory with His angels with Him. In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended publicly before His disciples, remember uh, when He told them to go into Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high? And then He was uh, taken up. And they looked, and, and lo, he was received into the very throne of God with angels round about him. And two angels were standing b- beside these disciples and said, Why do you stand here gazing? This same Jesus, which you have seen uh, go into heaven, shall in like manner return from heaven, in like manner of glory, and in like manner with the angels round about him. So it's not unusual for us to see six angels in this chapter are going to speak. Six angels are going to be active 
in the program that God has set for the last days. And here's one of them. Here's the first one. And what I want to point out and drive home tonight is this everlasting gospel. This is the first time the word gospel is used in the book of Revelation. And it's everlasting. And I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that this is exactly the same gospel as we read throughout the New Testament. Uh, the gospel of grace, the gospel of God, uh, the gospel of the kingdom. That good news, that good news is going to come out. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Notice with me, in the midst of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed from mid-heaven. That's what the Greek word uh, signifies there, mid-heaven, where the sun reaches its zenith at noon. It's at the highest point in the sky. At that point in time, this angel is, is uh, proclaiming this gospel, this good news, unto them that dwell on the earth, out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It's not just reserved to Jewish people. It's not just reserved to the old Baptists. It's, it's, it's going to be a, a message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. All four uh, segments of society. And this is what this everlasting gospel is about. And I, that's what I want to point out tonight. Fear God, verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God. Fear God. Why would, this be a, uh, why would this be an essential message in the last day as it was in the first? Uh, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom. You show me individuals, whether they're uh, leaders in the community or leaders in the nation, you show me uh, leaders that fear God, and I'll show you somebody that will be effective in their leadership of, of individuals. Their effective leaders fear God. One of the mandates that God instituted in ancient Israel was that when they did appoint uh, judges, that they would be men that feared God, that had a consciousness that God was ruling. They had a consciousness of what God deemed as right and wrong. They had a value to the law of God. They understood the things of God and their accountability to God. What do you think is missing in our political realm today more than any one thing? Those individuals that don't fear God. They do not fear God. If they feared God, they would not be, uh, they would not be doing a lot of things that they're doing. Because what they're doing is against God. So he says, uh, this angel is flying and he's, uh, he, he's got this message for mankind. Fear God. And uh, I believe that when it relates to God's people in the earth, we need to adhere to this admonition to fear God in our walk before men and before him. We need, we need to fear God as well as they do. And give glory to Him. Give glory to Him. Not glorify the Antichrist. Not glorify the heathen. Not glorify those that uh, teach things contrary to the revealed Word of God. 
but to honor and glorify God, to bring Him glory, to live our, our lives in such a way as God would be glorified. That's exactly what Jesus taught us, uh, did He not, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Didn't He teach us that? Didn't He, didn't he teach us that we should uh, let our light so shine before men that others may see our good works and glorify who? Our Father, who art in heaven. To, to glorify means to magnify or to defer uh, uh, credit to the one that deserves it. God is the one that deserves all the glory. Give glory to him and not to the beast in his image. Then he says, for the hour of his judgment is come. Here's another word that appears the first time in the letter of Revelation. Judgment. This is the first time it's used. Now we've been reading about God's judgments all the way up to this point. But this is the first time it's used. And what's significant about that is, in this chapter, we read the first reference to Babylon. We'll get into that next time, but, but this is the first time that it's used. And um, judgment is being uh, uh, laid up for Babylon, and we'll get into that next time. But he, sa he said, uh, for the hour of his judgment is come. It, it, that means it's present in the coming of this uh, uh, angel, in the coming of this uh, Jesus at the end of the age and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountain of waters now this is significant to us as well as to the last generation in the earth because <clears throat> I believe what 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 is actually the world is going to be in, involved in is an evolutionary pantheistic humanism. Uh, a, a total denial of a creator God. You know, Darwin's theory of evolution that was uh, introduced to the public school system uh, several years ago has uh, borne fruit. Many of the uh, problems that you and I see in our world today are a direct result of evolutionary teaching. Teaching that people are nothing but animals. Right? Well, if you teach that long enough, people are convinced that they're animals. Well, why not act like animals, you see? But isn't it interesting that the everlasting gospel is pointing men to the creator God, to the fact of God, that God does exist. And not only does God exist, but God, the God that does exist has power. The God that does exist has power to save but he also has power to judge. He has power to deliver, but he has power to condemn. This is the God of the Bible, the God of creation. Now, I want to apply that to you and I more than anything else. Point number one, we need to fear God. How? In our walk. In our walk. How do we fear God in our walk? We are walking in a God-conscious manner. That means that whatever I'm occupied in, whatever my employment is, whatever, uh, whatever I'm doing in my life, whether it's school or in the home or in the job place, 
I'm acknowledging that God is there. And God is a witness to what I'm doing. So I need to fear God in my walk. I need to walk as Paul would direct us in the Ephesian letter. I need to walk in light. I need to walk in love. I need to walk in wisdom. I need to walk circumspectly. That means like an acrobat on a tightrope. I need to walk in such a way as I'm acknowledging that God is ever-present. Do you remember when Joseph was tempted uh, of Potiphar's wife? Do you remember uh, continually she was tempting him, tempting him, tempting him, and finally, remember she grabbed his cloak? Do you remember the story? And, uh, and Joseph said something there. He said, uh, you know, your, your husband has given me authority over all his house, all of his belongings. In other words, I'm representing your husband. He has not withheld anything from me but you because you're his wife. And this is what he said. How can I then sin against God? God consciousness. Joseph feared God in his walk. Joseph feared God in his walk. We're called to do that by the gospel. The gospel calls us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Secondly, we are to glorify God in our work. We're to glorify God in our work. We're not to glorify the world. We're not to glorify the beast. We're not to glorify the Antichrist. We're not to glorify the devil. We're to glorify God in our work. I believe, and I know you do uh, believe this too, all of God's children have gifts. God has gifted you in some way. He has gifted you in some measure. Whether it's a, um, whether it's a, a, a gift of... Uh, wisdom, whether it's a gift of exhortation, whether it's a gift of um, encouragement, whether it's a gift of giving, whether what, whatever that gift is, God is the one that gave you that gift to exercise, not only in the community of the believers, but in the community that we live in, because it is through that testimony, it is through that uh, diligence on our part that we draw people's attention to Christ. That we draw people's attention to the Lord. I heard an interview today on the radio. Uh, Ukrainian mission. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this. But, but Ukraine. Uh, in Euro uh, uh, compared to European countries. Ukraine is called the mission capital of Europe. There are more missionaries that come out of Ukraine. To the rest of Europe and Russia than any, anywhere else in the world. Isn't that amazing? So the attacks that they're, they're having right now are demonically driven. Uh, it's, it's not just so they can uh, take their oil. It's not just so they can take their grain, but it's so that they can confront and seek to destroy the witness of Christ in Ukraine. And I heard a, a neat interview today about a Ukrainian that a Ukrainian Christian that was taking food and medicine 
to the wounded uh, Ukrainians that had lost their homes and, and many of them uh, lost uh, family members and, and they were doing this as a Christian, uh, uh, as a Christian ministry. And in that interview, uh, this uh, interviewer said, well, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid to go back into the battle zone to carry all this food and these medical supplies? He said, absolutely not. Because he said this, for the Christian to die is gain. What a wonderful testimony. I, you know, I, I pray that if that day ever comes that I might be given the words that that man gave in that interview with this secular news. I, I, in fact, I think it was CNN uh, uh, news agency uh, interviewing this Christian. I'm not worried about death because for a Christian to die is gain. And I believe that's the way we ought to live our life. It is glorifying God on every, uh, every opportunity that we have to share His goodness and His uh, fullness, to glorify God in our work. Not only do we fear God in our walk, we glorify God in our work, and we honor God in our worship. Now here, brothers and sisters, I believe is a key tenant of the true gospel. The true gospel of the Son of God teaches repentance of known sin. Repentance of known sin. But it also teaches forgiveness for the sins that are repented of. See, that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that God's grace is sufficient for every need. God's grace is sufficient for every sorrow, every trial that we'll ever go through. That's the good news of the gospel. But we should never forget to add that or to uh, look upon faith and repentance as key elements of the true gospel somebody says well brother jeff i just believe that you know uh, how many times we heard this um we're all working to get to the same place anyway you've got your way i've got my way they've got their way muslims got their way everybody you know has their way uh to god and eventually they're going to get there by their goodness well i tell you what if it's based on our goodness we're all lost aren't we if it's based on our perfection we're all gone aren't we but i want you to know that the key element of the scripture the true gospel of the son of god is that jesus christ came into the world to save sinners that were given him in covenant even before time began, and to take upon himself their sins on the tree of the cross, and to pay, make full payment for every sin that ever would be committed by any one of those of the elect, whether they're Jew or Gentile, and through the imputation of that righteousness into the soul of that individual, that individual is made free forever. That individual is made uh, righteous in the sight of a holy God. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is a call for men to turn from sin to serve the living God, to serve the true and living God, to serve the one living God, and to honor Him and to glorify Him with their life. That's what worship is about. We're here to worship because we have been forgiven 
We are here to worship this evening because of what He has done for us, not what we do for Him. I believe that the true gospel has fallen on bad times in our generation. We are, especially us, uh, we're looked upon as unnecessary, non-essential, uh, uh, just incidental in so many ways by the world we're living in. But brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the pillar and the ground of the true gospel. And we should never, we should never uh, be ashamed of it. I don't want to be ashamed of it. You know, Paul said that, didn't he, in Romans 1.16. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. To who? To who? To everyone who believes. Now, how do I know I believe tonight? Because I repent of no sin. I know I believe because I repent of known sin. This is an evidence, not a cause, an evidence of salvation. It's an evidence. Somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, uh, I tell you what, I, I, I think I have a, a, a home in heaven because I do so many good things in the community, but I just have a problem uh, believing in Jesus Christ. Did you know that that's a misnomer? That man's lost as a goose in a hailstorm and doesn't even know it. Because we're not saved by our goodness. We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And those that would separate regeneration from conversion and say the myriads of God's people are regenerated but only a few over here are going to know Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that's contrary to the Bible. That's contrary to the word of God. The reason He regenerates us and gives us the new birth is so that we can believe in the Lord Jesus and repent of our known sin and turn to follow Him. Now here's the question. Here's the big question in closing tonight. Why would God appoint an angel to preach this gospel. You know, the immediately, the first thought I had when I read this, I remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse uh, 6, I believe it is, when he said, uh, if uh, anyone or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. Remember that? Maybe Paul knew something about this angel that the gospel would be preached and proclaimed by an angel. Here is the angel of God in heaven, and he's at, the, he's at the zenith height of the noonday sun, and he's proclaiming this message so that all the nations hear it at one time. Why would God do that? Did you know all the way through the Bible, God never brings judgment before he brings a warning? I believe he's warning mankind of impending judgment he's warning them that the cup is about to be emptied now what's going to happen after this there are going to be seven vile judgments poured out upon the earth 
The word vile could be translated bowl, small dish. It could be poured out upon the earth. And the wrath of God, the settled anger of God against sin, is going to be imposed upon the unbelieving world. And what I want to leave you with this tonight is the fact that you and I would be in that number. You and I deserve to be in that number that are exposed to the very wrath of a holy God were it not for Jesus Christ. When he died upon that cross for our sins, brothers and sisters, the wrath of God was poured out upon him. Oh, let us never, ever take for granted the gift of the true gospel. Let us fear God in our walk, glorify God in our work, and honor God in our worship. God bless you. Thank you for your good attention.